0: We will stand for the reading of God's Word from Philippians chapter 2, but I want to bring us up to speed, kind of frame the background a little bit before we uh, jump into this next section. Uh, One of the great privileges of preaching through a letter or book of the Bible is that we really get to follow the author's train of thought as he develops uh, themes, and uh, this is something uh, that we have been able to do over the last uh, many weeks. And I, as we see how the text has held together, I hope, hope you've been able to spend time in the letter of Philippians as we go through this. Uh, maybe reading through the letter once a week, just to, uh, to cement those themes and the purpose that Paul has in mind. And we know at this point, uh, even from Paul's first few words in this letter, that he is emphasizing humility, a call to unity uh, in the church. The apostle is a slave of Christ, and that very first verse. Uh, and then there is partnership, a sharing and suffering, a striving together uh, for the cause of the gospel. And that's going to continue uh, right into uh, chapter 2 that we read this morning. You know, there are some passages uh, that are quite intimidating. Maybe that's not the right word. Um, overwhelming as a preacher. Um, you think, that there's just no way I can do justice to, this, to these words. There's no way I can say what needs to be said. And that's true for all preaching in, in many ways. Uh, but for this text uh, in particular, we have, we have some of the most beautiful and powerful words in the Scripture. Certainly the New Testament uh, before us uh, here. So please continue to pray. Pray as the word is being preached this morning. Uh, that we would hear and appreciate just the glory and grandeur of this passage so now i'm going to ask you to stand as we read from philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 11 paul says so if there is any encouragement in christ any comfort from love any participation in the spirit any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love being in full accord and of one mind To the glory of God the Father. We need to pray. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so grateful for this word. A glorious, majestic, powerful word that you have spoken through the Apostle. Lord, move in our hearts now, we ask. Work this word deep, imprint it, that we might not only know you more, but love you more. And as we bow the knee... To you and worship, be glorified in the attitude of our hearts and our minds. We ask in this moment. Help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A few years ago, a man by the name of James Lee he burst into the headquarters of the Discovery Channel in uh, Maryland, and uh, he took several hostages. He, he He took over one of the the media rooms and he had a whole list of of demands that he expected from the Discovery Channel. Apparently he didn't like what he was seeing aired on on Discovery and so he he took hostages. And uh, he was one that um, uh, didn't have, he believed we were overpopulated on the planet and so he wanted less uh, less programming on uh, celebrating human life and more programming on how to take care of the planet and, and things like this, uh, how to fix, um, fix the pollution problem that we have. He made all these demands, said, this is what you're going to air. You're going to do this, 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 and this. And uh, fortunately, the standoff didn't last very long. Unfortunately, uh, sadly, and it, it should be sad always when we hear this, uh, he was killed over, over this stand and his expression. But he had, it was just fascinating to read the list of his demands, while he held these hostages, um, and he came into the situation, into the media room, willing to fight for it. I mean, he was armed and the other things strapped to his body, so that someone would hear him, and maybe even act uh, upon uh, these demands that he was making. And so I I just bring this up because I want to ask you: Have you taken any hostages lately? Um, have you made any demands? perhaps unreasonable demands of others. Maybe even of yourselves. Um, I know in some ways it sounds a little far-fetched, a little ridiculous and extreme, but Paul's message here to the church, a call to put away rivalry, selfish ambition, conceit, it tells us that it really isn't all that extreme. Uh, This is bound up in our hearts. The flesh that wages War against the Spirit of God in us, so that we actually get a kick out of causing division. Um, making demands of others and of ourselves. Holding hostage to our own rule. Our own charge. So this, this rivalry and faction is alive and well in the Philippian church. And, and Paul calls out a few specifically. Judea and Syntyche. He calls them out by name in chapter 4, which we'll get to. But then another letter to, to Corinth, he has folks screaming, well, I'm for Paul. Well, psh, I'm for Peter. Oh, well, forget that. I'm for Jesus. Um, rivalry. And its own, I guess, twin brother of conceit. It's about my desires, my demands. And so we take this God-given passion and concern that he gives us. And instead of you know, this direction, we take it and we, we point it this direction about what I want, where I fit, where my opinions fit, a place and position that I can fight for with whatever limited uh, knowledge I may have. And someone better listen, right? Um, You know, something that really hit me this last week settled in as I thought about rivalry and what contributes to disunity uh, is that I know very little about most things. Um, My opinion doesn't carry a lot of weight. Um, and it shouldn't like if you're talking about shingling a roof or something like that you wouldn't want to talk to me about that Um, you know how to fix an air conditioner or uh, you know the the latest geological discoveries or what's the best posture towards you know China or North Korea I mean these these are complex issues we have opinions um, but so often we think way too highly of them and so much in our in our educational system, dominance of social media, it says you have a voice, and your opinion matters as much as anyone else's, right? And it, it's almost like an indispensable right in current uh, generations. And I have to tell you, it's a load of goods, um, and we all need to hear this. Maybe especially our our young people, our students. You can share what you think. You can post it, ask hard questions, engage in debate, but most of the time your perspective does not carry the weight that you think it does or should. Um, There is someone who knows more than you do about everything you care about. Um, And that's a good thing. I mean, that that is a good thing. There are are experts that we can can look to. Um, That should humble us. It should temper us us a little bit Uh, but in our sin we fight against this we fight against the authority of god and how that authority is rightly expressed truthfully expressed through others Uh, it's about what i think what i'm entitled to my demands Um, and here's where the world says well just stop it you know it it calls for peace and unity you listen to the radio the journals uh, books many sermons even just stop fighting. I mean, can't we all just get along? Let's just coexist in peace and harmony. But the issue persists. Probably getting worse in many ways. And so if we view the cause as superficial, then the solutions are only going to be superficial. But thankfully our Creator has not left us with that mess. Uh, We have a word that takes an honest and realistic view of our condition. It says no superficial solution is going to help with what we're really faced with. Uh, so, what is that solution? How, how can we pursue the, the unity uh, that Paul is calling the church to? And thankfully, he shows us. And uh, so, we're going to look at the call and then we're going to look at Christ the call to unity and Christ's humility. They're, they're in, inseparably linked. The more we look and think upon Jesus, the more we understand the call to unity and even have the ability to pursue it. So to set up his charge in verse 1, Paul names several things that are true of the church, or at least true of a people that God is working in. If they are partakers of grace, if they're striving side by side for this gospel, then they will be characterized by encouragement and comfort and love. They're going to have a deep affection and a concern for one another. These are some of the things that define life together as Christians. There's there's a fellowship, a bond in the Holy Spirit. So if we are uninterested, if we're unconcerned about the life happenings of others in the church, then we need to take a good hard look at, at our own condition, at our own hearts. How are you and I contributing to an atmosphere of love and comfort and sympathy in the church? There should should be a tenderness among those who have been uh, astonished by the gospel, captured by the gospel of God's grace. And if this is true, uh, what should be true of the church, then he says, complete my joy. What would complete his joy? Well, it's unity. Being of the the same purpose and intention, the same mind. And this is that language that really holds these verses together. One mind, he says in verse 2. Then he comes back to it in verse 5, but he shifts the mood just slightly. He goes from having one mind as a desire, as a goal among the body of Christ, to a command in verse 5. This must be true among you. Have this mind among yourselves. It's not not just an intellectual thing, not just having the same thoughts, I mean, my, my wife can read my mind with some scary accuracy sometimes. It's not, it's not that type of thing. Um, there's a shared love. There's a shared disposition among Christians that's marked by humility. So where rivalry, that's that selfish ambition, and conceit, where those things exist, then this cannot happen. There will be no unity without Humility. Again, Paul Paul's reframing. He's turning this, this Roman colony that really is infatuated with honor and prestige and status. He's just he's turning it on his head. And so he's not making a human value statement in verse 4, but he's saying that the needs and concerns of others should be equally valid. Even take precedence over your own needs and concerns. So, before you start taking others hostage and making a, a list of demands in your own heart and mind, consider the needs and experience of others. As a family, we started to read through that book, To Kill a Mockingbird, by Harper Lee. We were a few chapters into it by now, and uh, it's, it's being told from the perspective of Scout, who I think is in the first grade at this point. And, uh, and her and, and, and brother Jim are starting to make a few more comments and play act uh, the life of, of Boo Radley across the street, who they think is still alive across the street. But at one point, their father, Atticus, has to stop them and say, you know, uh, you need to put yourself in that person's skin. Um, I think that's good. I think that's what, what Paul is, is going at here. The humility that's going to bring a church together means putting ourselves in another skin. Trying to understand and see things from their uh, perspective and what it is they might uh, need. So there's a spirit of humility. And Paul writes uh, to Christians in Rome. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And here's you say, well, wait a minute, Paul. This is where you've crossed the line. Okay, you can't tell me how to think. Um, You can pray. You can preach. You can model. That's fine. But this is getting extreme. You tell me how to think. Um, Here's how I think Paul would answer. Yes, it is. Let... Let me just show you. Here's what your disposition should be. Not only not only as a model for you, but the only way that makes it possible. Here's one who put himself in your skin. It's not just anyone. So he moves from a call to unity to Christ's humility in verses six through eleven. It's easy to lose sight of the main humility unto unity point in these verses. Uh, it's not unlike the Apostle Paul. He just explodes with amazement at this. Uh, kind of like that uh, you know, Google Earth where you, you hit the zoom out button and he, he says, here's Jesus, and then <laughs> just explodes in all of his glory and majesty. Everything that Jesus is, what he's done, what he came to do. Uh, these verses are just packed with, with wonder. and Many of the key doctrines on the person of, of Jesus are found uh, right here. And there, there are some scholars, and when I say that, I mean folks who have done enough trustworthy research and study that we should probably at least listen to what they say. Uh, they say that most of, of verses 6 through 11 may not actually be Paul's. Uh, that he, he may have borrowed this language uh, as part of an older hymn in the church, or maybe from a, a contemporary uh, writer. Uh, that is not an airtight argument uh, by, any, by any means, so these verses could very well Uh, still be the apostles but that this high prose and style that that we uh, find so rare Uh, but either way whether they came from paul or from a borrowed source it doesn't change the theology it doesn't change the the purpose goal or the authority of what's uh, before us here have this mind among yourselves which is yours in christ jesus again he's connecting that call to unity to the model of humility who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross so Paul starts here with with Jesus in glory with Jesus in heaven and then he's going to end with Jesus in heaven and so there is this the meekness and humility of Jesus that, that goes down to the point even of his death, and then we have the rising and exaltation. So it's, it's a big V, humiliation and exaltation. Appropriate way to look at uh, these six verses. Jesus is in the form of God, the pre-existent God, forever existing, clothed in majesty, clothed in splendor. Jesus has always existed with all power and authority and dominion with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And yet, as part of this this humiliation, He voluntarily relinquishes some of His rightful privileges. The glory and authority that are rightfully and forever His. He determines that He's not going to hold on to them. And this is part of that that emptying of himself. Jesus is still sovereign in this. He's still the the initiator. He willingly and voluntarily taking the form and expression of a slave. I think the easiest way to think about this is Jesus is changing his role and his status in this process. He's not leaving behind the attributes of God. That's an important thing to understand. And in some way, in a way only known to God, he voluntarily limits the exercise of his godly divine attributes. He's obedient, submissive to God the Father. He's born in the likeness of men. So historically, the church has said there are, there are two distinct natures. Jesus has a human nature and a divine nature. But they can't be, they can't be separated in any way. So in what we, what we know is the incarnation, Jesus is one person with two natures. You know John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And then later on, the Word became flesh. Colossians chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. The radiance of God uh, is Jesus. Uh, just, just sit in that for a second. Jesus takes on our fleshly form and all that it entails in His human nature. So the person next to you will let them just poke them in the arm or or squeeze their arm. Um, You could do that to Jesus. (laughs) The infinite Creator. All-knowing. All-powerful. The Creator of the heavens and the earth. You You could squeeze His arm. Um, you know, we, we've had a lot of ants around our house particularly when the sun comes out after a storm maybe like we had last night and it's, it's amazing how many of them keep coming after I spray and kill a lot of them they just keep coming um, but for you and I to take on the form and I'm not talking the big ants I'm talking the little ones for you and I to take on that type of a form as an ant wouldn't even come close it wouldn't even compare to the humiliation of Jesus taking on our flesh. He knows our bodies. He knows our desires, our temptations. But He does not know or experience our sin. Still fully God in human form. So in this form, He humbled Himself By becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Jesus fully embraced the purpose, the plan of the Godhead. He himself summarizes his mission in Mark chapter 10. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So this service was to the end. This humiliation to the end. The ultimate sacrifice. Something that we remember very clearly, on a weekend uh, such as this. Uh, and Paul notes specifically how Jesus died. I mean, his death was, was, was humiliating, all part of his humiliation, but it goes even further in the way Jesus died. You know, crucifixion was considered one of the most painful and torturous ways to die. You know, your, your skin is slowly ripped apart, and muscles begin to tear, and you suffocate over a matter of hours or days. This form of execution, it really was the, the lowliest. I mean, it was reserved for, for the, the cruelest and, of criminals. Rebels, slaves, violent, uh, yeah, violent criminals were hung on crosses. And so many Roman citizens, especially those of the higher class, they could not even be executed in this way. It, it was well below them. Too cruel to even be considered for the upper class Roman citizen. And for the Jew, what did the Jew think of the cross? The Old Testament tells us, Deuteronomy 21, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. In his humility, that is where Jesus has gone. Bearing the curse for you, and for me till on that cross as jesus died the wrath of god was satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the death of christ we live i pray that as you sit here this morning or you listen to this some other time that you know the depths of christ's love for you just what he gave up how low he went in perfect obedience to the father for you. I mean, did you ever struggle with your identity? Wondering whether anyone really loves you? Or could possibly love you? Look to Jesus. Look at your Savior. As a God, as God He made you. As man, He knows everything about you and He chooses to delight in you. No greater love is known than to lay down one's life and He has done this for you. Not not just for a temporary freedom, temporary safety, but for eternal security, eternal freedom from all that could ever possibly hurt you. He has done this. So let's consider our attitude. What is, what is the disposition of our heart towards others? What demands can you and I really make in light of this? Um, so it's the humiliation of Jesus that brings about his exaltation in verses 9 through 11. So now we're on the way up of that V. Jesus is highly exalted. Um, his greatness, his authority, it is supreme, it is above all others. He's given the name that is above every name. Okay, in the ancient world, that's a big deal. Names weren't just a, a designation or an identifier. A person's name described what it is they did, how they, how they related to society, their role in God's world. And so Jesus is given the name Kurias, Lord. He is God's anointed, the Christ, who delivers His people From the slavery of sin. He is the Lord. So now we're right back to that place of glory and exaltation at the Father's side. In Isaiah chapter 45, the Lord is speaking through the prophet. says that salvation is only of the Lord, of Yahweh, the God of Israel. This is what He says, Turn to Me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Isaiah chapter 45. So Paul makes an an unmistakable allusion to the prophet here. Jesus is God. He is Lord. He shares God's name. He is to be worshipped by all All beings, all rational beings in the created order. Every knee bows. Every tongue confesses. The context here allows for both the present, right now, and the future. Sadly, there are many who do not bow the knee to Jesus now. But that time is coming. The time is coming soon. When Jesus will return, He'll return with the, the hosts of heaven and trail and and all will be made new. Finally, completing everything subjected to His rule. Every knee will bow. Many with great joy, and many more in shame. There will still be an awe, but there will be with shame. It will be unmistakable who has triumphed. Unmistakable who reigns over all. We have a preview of this in the chorus of Revelation chapter 5. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. They can't really be counted, that's the point. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Church, it's not enough to simply believe in God. Or, you know, some supreme being. Yeah, I get that, I'm with you there. Uh, That's not enough. Um, The devil believes this. The devil and his forces know full well the character of God, and they tremble. What makes us Christian, what makes us disciples is to know God in Christ. We can only know Him. We can only think on Him through Jesus. And so we're not living for a worldview. We're not living or just accepting a philosophy. We accept Him. We believe on Him. We bow the knee to Him. So as we humble ourselves, God in His faithfulness, He will exalt us as He has exalted His Son. Humiliation to exaltation. Suffering to glory. It is the life of Christ. It's the life of His disciples. Um, so our, our response of humility unto unity is not just formal obedience or even an imitation of Jesus. And, I mean We strive to be like Jesus Okay, Conform to His image, but there is so much about Jesus that we cannot imitate. Our response, our humility, comes from a personal union we have with Jesus. To know that our lives are, are hidden with Christ. That our minds are being renewed in the power of the Holy Spirit. Only in Christ and through Christ. Can we then share the same goals? same desires same attitudes with one mind so the only solution to rivalry and conceit is to look at Christ to think upon him I can't say this better than Lloyd-Jones nothing but the cross can make a man esteem others as better than himself nothing but the cross of Christ can give us a spirit of humility So if we're going to pursue the call to unity and humble ourselves, we must continually be hearing and singing when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. Say it with me if you know it. My richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. So your life, my life, our life in the church is not about us. It is about Him. It is about Jesus. We're to submit to Him. Jesus enslaved Himself that we might be redeemed. He puts on our skin a voluntary hostage in His humanity and His death to free us for all eternity. Think on Him and confess with me now and forever that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's pray. Father, we can only but scratch the surface of the beauty of this word, the words of life that you've given to us. Oh, may we be reminded, may we sing it anew that you are our life. Oh, and we survey the wondrous cross, how you have humbled yourself, and how you reign. Lord, we thank you. May this truly humble us as we seek to serve and live in unity with one another. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.